Welcome to the Pentagon Labyrinth, the podcast of the Center for Defense Information, brought to you by the Strauss Military Reform Project at the Project on Government Oversight. The Navy's version of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, recently declared combat ready, has netted unacceptably low fully mission-capable rates, meaning it's in fact almost never fully ready for combat, according to a document obtained by the Center for Defense Information at the Project on Government Oversight. The fact that the Navy is pushing ahead with the aircraft in spite of evidence that it is not ready for combat and could therefore put at risk missions as well as the troops who depend on it to get to the fight comes at the same time that the Pentagon's latest annual operational testing report for fiscal year 2018 shows that the entire F-35 program, the most expensive weapon system in history, is not ready to face current or future threats. For as much as the 2018 report from the Director of Operational Test and Evaluation reveals about the F-35's lack of progress in nearly every essential area, it is markedly less transparent than previous reports. It provides no updates on the crippling deficiencies highlighted in previous years, reports far fewer findings critical of the program than earlier reports, and contains almost no quantitative results on the F-35's most urgent problems. The report omits any mention of the program's fully mission-capable rate, let alone the Navy versions, which is the most significant measure of whether a fighter force is ready to show up for combat. Also not mentioned are the results of several important test activities, including summer 2018's close air support flyoff tests between the F-35 and the A-10, which, as Pogo reported earlier, were conducted under unrealistic conditions and appeared designed to favor the F-35. According to the report, DOT&E is withholding most new testing details and results by promising to include them in the final initial operational test and evaluation report. That report is unlikely to be published until the beginning of next year at the earliest. Meanwhile, the F-35 Joint Program Office is sticking to its current schedule, which would have the program starting full-rate production for the entire fleet by the end of this year, despite hundreds of critical, unresolved design flaws. Of the Diotini report, the Joint Program Office said, All of the issues mentioned are well known to the JPO, the U.S. services, our international partners and allies, and our industry team, and are being aggressively addressed. The F-35 Enterprise achieved numerous critical milestones during 2018, which have set a solid foundation for the program to complete initial operational test and evaluation and move into full rate production as planned in late 2019. The services did not respond to POGO's request for comment on the DOTNE report. POGO conducted an in-depth analysis of the report. The results, together with POGO's reporting, reveal that the F-35 program is more deeply troubled than ever and should be of great concern to the Pentagon, Congress, and the taxpayers who are footing the steadily rising bill. The most important measure of an aircraft's readiness for combat is the fully mission-capable rate. This is the percentage of aircraft on hand that have fully functional, non-degraded vehicle systems, like the flight controls and engine, electronic mission systems, like the radar, electronic warfare systems, computers, etc., and weapons employment capabilities, a particularly important measure for the F-35. The 2017 DOTNE report showed a 26% fully mission-capable rate across the entire F-35 fleet. Because the 2018 report makes no mention of this rate, it is impossible to know what the 2018 rate was across the entire fleet. 
The Navy document Pogo obtained shows that the problem does persist, though. The Marines' F-35B and Navy's F-35C variants posted even worse figures in 2018 than in the previous year. The F-35B's fully mission-capable rate fell from 23% in October 2017 to 12.9% in June 2018, while the F-35C plummeted from 12% in October 2016 to 0% in December 2017, then remained in the single digits throughout the entirety of 2018. Based on the Navy and Marine variants' dismally low fully mission-capable rates, and on how little appears to have improved across the program since 2017, the fully mission-capable rate for the full fleet is likely far below the 80% target rate for the program set by former Secretary of Defense James Mattis. In response to Pogo's questions about the Navy's fully mission-capable rates, the Joint Program Office highlighted the entire F-35 fleet's higher mission-capable rate, which is a less rigorous and less useful measure showing how often the aircraft can perform at least one of its assigned tasks. The office also identified the lack of spare parts as the biggest factor impacting availability. To tell how many planes can actually get to the fight requires a second measure, the sortie generation rate, that is, how many flights per day each fighter in the fleet completes. The 2018 DOT report makes no mention of it. The fleet-wide sortie rates for the three F-35 variants POGO calculated from the 2017 report were extremely low, averaging between 0.3 and 0.4 sorties per day. During Operation Desert Storm, frontline combat aircraft, including the F-15 and F-16, flew an average of at least one sortie per day, and the A-10 fleet averaged at least 1.4 sorties per day. Even under the pressures of recent Middle East combat deployment, the F-35's rates have not improved. According to statements from the squadron commander, six F-35Bs on board the USS Essex flew over 100 sorties in 50-plus days in the Middle East. In other words, each F-35B flew a third of a sortie per day, meaning they flew an average of once every three days in sustained combat. The 2018 report leaves out most details on the F-35's ongoing testing. The F-35 Joint Program Office ended the system design and development phase in April 2018 in a seemingly arbitrary move, despite a large backlog of design deficiencies. The program has now transitioned from developmental testing, where engineers test to see if individual systems' functions meet contractual specifications, to operational testing, where military combat users test whether the overall plane is combat effective and suitable, rather than just in line with contract or engineering design specifications, which sometimes do not match up with combat needs. Specifically, the report provides no information on the results of the two preliminary initial operational test and evaluation events completed in 2018, both of which involved limited combat realism, the cold weather test for F-35 basing in Alaska, and the opening round of the congressionally mandated close air support combat effectiveness fly-off between the F-35 and the A-10. The Pentagon's lack of information and transparency in reporting the fly-off tests is particularly disturbing, especially in light of POGO's investigation of mismanagement, bias, and conflict of interest in the conduct of these tests. The test's outcome and the future of the A-10 should be of great concern to every soldier and Marine who may find themselves in need of air firepower. 
The report does provide some detail on the developmental testing for the 25mm gun, though nearly all of the details are actually old results already reported in previous years. The gun is of major significance for close air support because accurate strafing is almost always a better choice than bombs or missiles when troops are endangered by close-in enemies or when enemy targets are close to civilians. The report includes a combination of this and previous year's testing results for each of the three F-35 models guns, but the most significant results involve the F-35As. Like most aspects of the F-35 program, because there are three service-specific aircraft, there are three different guns, an internally mounted cannon for the F-35A and a belly-mounted gun pod carrying 220 rounds for the Marine Corps' F-35B and the Navy's F-35C, though because of differences in the shape of each variant, the gun pods are not interchangeable. Diotini reports that, based on a small sample of developmental flight tests, the Marine Corps' and Navy's gun pods have met their engineering accuracy specifications. In contrast, the Air Force's F-35A's internally mounted gun continues to demonstrate poor accuracy during testing as in years past. The gun shoots long and to the right of targets when pilots aim using cues projected into their helmets. Adjustments to the helmet's targeting software should be able to correct the cues to match with bullet impacts, but repeated attempts over a period of at least two years have failed. Investigators first found misalignment with the gun mounts in 2017. According to the 2018 report, the true alignment of each F-35A gun is not known. Due in no small part to the inadequacy of the testing program, still other questions remain about the effectiveness of the gun's ammunition against real targets encountered in combat. The developmental testing phase tested three ammunition types, the PGU-23, a training and practice round, the PGU-47, armor-piercing high-explosive incendiary round, and the PGU-48, frangible armor-piercing round. The incendiary round is mainly for use against light armor, and is designed to penetrate thin armor plate before detonating with a delay inside the target. The last is a non-traditional, non-explosive fragmenting round meant to punch a hole through lightly armored targets and set off secondary detonations when it penetrates into fuel or stored ammunition. Live fire effectiveness testing of the ammunition to date has been against small numbers of obsolete vehicles, obsolete planes, and plywood silhouette dummies, none of which resemble the most common threats troops encounter. Flight testing of the gun and its ammunition has been even more limited. According to the report, there were just 19 air-to-ground strafing test missions for the F-35A through July 2018, in which aircraft fired approximately 3,400 rounds of the three ammunition types, approximately 70 passes of 50 rounds apiece, since the F-35A carries only 182 rounds. For comparison, the A-10 can carry 1,350 30mm rounds. In order to gather useful data on ammunition effectiveness, gun flight tests need to cover at least three approach angles and three opening ranges. The report does not shed light on the specifics of the test program, but simple arithmetic suggests that if the evaluators tested each round and all of the appropriate scenarios, then they only have one or two sets of data for each ammunition type, far from the amount of data needed to properly determine performance. Nothing in the report indicates that there will be much more gun effectiveness testing or that there will be any of a sort that would be sufficient to compare effectiveness of the A-10's 30mm gun with the F-35's A-25mm gun with realistic targets and numbers of passes. 
The F-35 is supposed to meet or exceed the combat performance of the aircraft it is slated to replace. The F-35A is intended to eventually replace the A-10 in the close air support role. Until engineers can make the F-35A's gun shoot straight and demonstrate this conclusively in testing, it is unlikely that many ground troops will be willing to trust the F-35 as they do the A-10 to fire safely at enemy targets close to their positions. And likely, fewer still would be willing to entrust their lives to the F-35's 182 25mm rounds instead of the 1,350 30mm rounds the A-10 can carry. The services had expected the F-35 to fly for half a century, but it is possible that many of the legacy aircraft it is meant to replace may still be in service by the time the first F-35s have been scrapped. All F-35s are supposed to have a service life of 8,000 hours, which is a standard military aircraft lifespan. To ensure the design will last, each model is required to undergo three lifetimes worth, 24,000 hours, of structural load testing to determine if they can handle the representative stress placed on them during takeoffs, landings, and in flight. In the course of this life testing over the years, engineers have found numerous instances of cracks and wear in the test airframe's structural components and joints. For example, an attachment joint between the vertical tail and the airframe on an F-35A failed during testing in October 2010. This forced a redesign of the joint that was later incorporated into the manufacturing process. That test aircraft, after this repair and others, went on to complete the three full lifetime tests and according to the 2018 report is currently undergoing a complete evaluation to determine if it meets the 8,000 hour standard. The Marines F-35B structural test airframe proved unable to complete three lifetimes of testing. According to the 2018 report, Joint Program Office officials suspended tests on that airframe in 2017 after its second lifetime when they found the necessary patches and modifications were so extensive that the airframe was no longer representative of the wing carry-through structure of the aircraft coming off the assembly line. Shockingly, there are no plans to procure a replacement airframe to test the F-35B to the three full lifetimes required by the contract. Using the data gathered during the tests, the aircraft did complete. Evaluators determined that the service life of the F-35B could be as low as 2,100 flight hours. That means the Marine Corps could potentially have to start retiring the first F-35Bs in seven years and may never acquire any F-35Bs with a verified 8,000-hour service life. Similarly, Joint Program Office officials called off durability testing of the Navy's F-35C test airframe in the middle of the third lifetime iteration following the discovery of damage to several structural components that were deemed too costly to repair. As with the F-35B, the program office appears to have no plans to procure a replacement test airframe or to complete the required third lifetime of tests. In order to match the service life of models yet to be built, already built F-35s will require costly retrofits to incorporate design modifications to fix problems discovered during even the incomplete tests. Switching gears, the Troubled Autonomic Logistics Information System, or ALICE, the massive complex network owned and operated by Lockheed Martin, the F-35's prime contractor, continues to vex the entire program. The network is supposed to integrate maintenance diagnosis and scheduling and supply chain management with combat mission planning and threat analysis. Despite years worth of evidence, including from the government's own Government Accountability Office, that the system is not succeeding, Lockheed Martin claims on its website that ALICE's capabilities will reduce operating costs and increase aircraft availability. 
In the manner of many of the Pentagon's purportedly labor-saving efforts, Alice has actually increased the workload of hard-pressed maintainers due to persistent problems including false positive maintenance diagnoses, cumbersome data entry procedures, and slow uploads and downloads of data between the aircraft and Alice. In fact, Alice has so many flaws and has experienced so many failures that Lockheed Martin did not even use it on its manufacturing floor until March 2018. The program fielded Alice version 2.0.2.4 in early 2018. Units in the field reported numerous significant problems with it. Ironically, the system's deployment planning tool did not alleviate the substantial difficulties of deploying F-35 units. Users also complained about the life-limited parts management tool, saying it consumed a great deal of time and required them to manually work around the system to complete their tasks, exactly the opposite of how the system is supposed to work. In the meantime, yet another patched Alice version, this time 3.0.1, has been testing since late 2017 and has already required two revisions, the latest of which, 3.0.1.2, was introduced for use at the beginning of initial operational test and evaluation, but will be upgraded again in six months. Manual workarounds, a phrase that comes up in the latest DOT new report frequently, are a common theme in the Alice saga. The majority of what Alice is supposed to be able to do only works with a high level of manual effort by maintenance crews and administrative staff. For example, Problems with the deployment planning tool and transferring data generated onto the aircraft into the ALICE network still have not been corrected. To complete the necessary tasks, contractor specialists must take over from the service members, causing frequent work stoppages. Every time an F-35 requires a maintenance action, it must be logged into the system. And according to the testing report, documenting maintenance tasks in ALICE frequently takes more time than completing the maintenance action. When a component like an ejection seat has a problem, crews must record it in Alice's electronic logbook, which is then supposed to track parts through the supply chain. As for most such actions, Alice is supposed to automate this process, but so far, maintenance crews have found they must instead manually enter missing or correct data into the network. The lack of standardization among the vendors for the F-35's various subsystems is one of the main drivers of a problem with the electronic logbook feature. The outsourcing of subcontracts to about 1,500 vendors all over the country has helped buy the program widespread congressional support, but compounds ALICE data errors, slows parts deliveries, and increased costs to the program. With all of these problems, and the fact that many have persisted for years, end-users, read, hardworking uniform maintenance crews, have good reason to question the functionality of ALICE. According to the report, some crews keep two sets of books, maintaining separate databases on laptops to track the usage of parts as a check against the data Alice generates, which frequently proves incorrect. Many of these problems will likely continue indefinitely as the software continues to receive patches on top of patches. Alice has gone through at least 27 versions so far. This year's testing report alone includes discussion of five. Each is meant to add functionality and correct efficiencies in earlier iterations. DOTE reports some progress, including a patch that helped filter the false alarms that have afflicted the system in the past, yet Alice continues to cause more problems than it solves. The program is planning to release four major Alice upgrades over the next three years. The challenge inherent in this is that each version will almost certainly introduce new problems. 
According to some estimates, between 10 and 15% of security patches actually introduce new vulnerabilities, said software developer Chad Perrin in Tech Republic in 2010. The program plans to roll out more frequent, smaller releases to deal with this. Alice designers have the work cut out for them solving new problems and those that have endured since early in the development process. For example, nearly six years ago, Alice's Squadron Health Management application incorrectly reported an aircraft as non-mission capable, while at the same time another application, the Customer Maintenance Management System, reported the aircraft as ready to fly. First identified in Alice version 1.0.3 Alpha 3 in December 2012, this problem has yet to be corrected. Problems with Alice are so bad that the Air Force recently announced that, with the help from Lockheed, it is now working to develop a new program called Mad Hatter, which would perform all of Alice's intended functions by incorporating Wi-Fi and touchscreens on the flight line. To be clear, taxpayers funded Lockheed Martin to create Alice, and Lockheed made a complete mess of it. Now taxpayers will pay Lockheed Martin to build the Mad Hatter replacement, while also footing the bill for patch after patch on the original system. Pentagon officials have touted the F-35's supposed advantages as a computer that happens to fly repeatedly. The aircraft derives almost all of those advantages from the intricate internal and external network of hardware and software linking it to other aircraft, intelligence sources, ground stations, satellites, software labs, maintenance computers, and more. Testing for cyber vulnerabilities is therefore crucial to any evaluation of the program. The Government Accountability Office released a report in October 2018 showing that nearly every software-enabled system tested between 2012 and 2017 can be hacked, often by simple means like looking up default passwords online for commercially available software. Numerous parts of the F-35 program use this kind of software. Alice runs on Windows, for example. Cybersecurity testing has long been part of F-35 program evaluation. The testing office is mum on the specific issues found so far, but reports that, as of 2018, some of the vulnerabilities identified during earlier testing periods still had not been remedied. DOT&E calls for more cyber testing of the aircraft and the program supply chain to ensure the integrity of hardware components for initial production of air vehicles and ALICE components plus resupply of replacement parts. So significant are Diotini's concerns about the integrity of Alice that the report reiterates an earlier warning that program officials should find a way to operate the F-35 entirely without it in case the network is compromised. F-35 program office officials claim that an F-35 can fly for at least 30 days without connecting to Alice to exchange data and log maintenance actions. Diotini wants the program to do better than that. In light of current cybersecurity threats and vulnerabilities, along with peer and near-peer threats to bases and communications, the F-35 program and services should conduct testing of aircraft operations without access to ALICE for extended periods of time. However, DOT&E has not planned or mandated a testing event to confirm whether or not the F-35 can operate without ALICE for 30 days or more. The fully integrated nature of all F-35 systems makes cybersecurity more essential than for any other aircraft. Legacy aircraft already in service are equipped with software-enabled subsystems, and while a hacker could penetrate the GPS system in a legacy aircraft, because the subsystems are not fully integrated, a hacker could not also access the communication system, for example. The F-35 is inherently far more vulnerable. 
Lockheed Martin brags on its website about the aircraft's sensor fusion that connects all of the onboard subsystems, such as the active electronically scanned array radar, the distributed aperture system, and the communications navigation and identification avionics system. That means enemy cyber warriors need only compromise the software of one to corrupt the entire system. According to the 2018 Government Accountability Report, a successful attack on one of the systems the weapon depends on can potentially limit the weapon's effectiveness, preventing it from achieving its mission, or even causing physical damage and loss of life. A 2007 incident shows what this could look like. A flight of F-22 fighters crossing the Pacific lost all of their systems when they passed over the international dateline. In that case, a software glitch in the main processor wreaked havoc on all of the systems connected to it, including navigation, communications, and fuel indicators, forcing the flight to divert back to Hawaii. That was just the result of a coding error. It is not difficult to imagine what a hacker with malign intent could accomplish. The transition from developmental to operational testing is a milestone in any weapons program. For the F-35, it came nearly a decade late. Now, even with the extra time, the program has started the process with no apparent plan to resolve major, potentially life-threatening design flaws, and without several of the tools necessary to properly evaluate the aircraft's combat effectiveness or suitability in the hands of troops serving on the front lines. The program office appears to be planning to complete this phase of testing without making a proper evaluation possible. Prior to the beginning of the operational testing phase, officials had also failed to properly address 941 design flaws during the program's development phase, with 102 listed as Category 1 flaws that may cause death or serious injury, or lead to major damage to the aircraft or seriously inhibit combat effectiveness. As Pogo reported, rather than taking the proper corrective actions, program officials made paperwork adjustments in a series of meetings during the summer of 2018 to make some design flaws, like one involving the emergency transponder and another with the F-35A's emergency tail hook, appear to be less serious Category 2 deficiencies. Each of these flaws could ground aircraft or force them to abort missions. These design flaws likely also contribute to the program's poor availability rates. According to DOT&E, this will have an impact on the operational testing process, which requires an 80% availability rate for the 23 aircraft instrumented for operational testing. The fleet is averaging a monthly rate well below 80%, the rate is not specified in the report, which will remain a challenge for the efficient conduct and timely completion of operational testing. The operational testing plan also hinges on use of a complex simulation facility capable of reproducing the multi-plane enemy and friendly formations and the dense threat environment inevitable in any war against a near-peer adversary. This is necessary because the available test aircraft and the open-air test ranges in the western United States cannot replicate all the modern threat flights of six or more F-35s might face. But troublingly, DOT&E reports that the simulation facility is not expected to be fully functional until late 2019, right at the end of the current operational testing schedule. Without the simulator, the IOT&E will be unable to adequately assess the F-35 against dense and modern threats that are not available for open-air testing, resulting in operational risk, the report states. Known as the Joint Simulation Environment and located at Maryland's Naval Air Station Patuxent River, the facility took over from the mismanaged and failed Lockheed VSIM simulator development program. 
Programmers are now attempting to develop accurate, verified, and validated F-35 cockpit simulators and ground and airborne threat simulators for pilots to fly virtual multi-ship missions against multiple enemy missile and aircraft defensive arrays. But according to the report, this has run into serious problems. The simulation facility can only produce credible and useful test results if its computer programs are based on accurate data from the F-35's demonstrated flight, sensor, and weapons performance. And, according to the report, it is not clear that they are. The necessary data is gathered during flight tests and integrated into the simulation program, which is then supposed to complete a verification and validation process. However, DOT&E found that simulator development began without the crucial verification and validation step having been completed. On top of that, the basic and essential terrain modeling, familiar to anyone who has used a flight simulator on their home computer, has yet to be finished. Most distressingly, the physical facilities where all of this operates, which are to include cockpits and visuals, and even the buildings themselves were not even completed by the start of operational testing. Yet it appears that the F-35 program office intends to keep to its current operational testing schedule. Because the simulators will likely not be complete until the tail end of the schedule, the resulting report assessing the F-35's combat suitability will likely have no valid basis for judging whether the F-35 can survive against a dense, multi-threat environment or whether it can function effectively in real-world four- or eight-ship formations. Ensuring the absence of bias in testing planning, execution, and reporting is just as important as having adequate resources and managing testing competently. Congress created DOT&E in the 1980s as an independent testing office in the Department of Defense to end the practice of contractors and the services acquisition advocates writing and grading their own exams. Nevertheless, the F-35 program office approved Lockheed Martin, the F-35's prime contractor, and the firm with the most to gain from a favorable operational assessment to conduct one key F-35 system test and to analyze and report on the results of another. First, Instead of using a government cyber red team, as it should have done to avoid even the appearance of a conflict of interest in the process, the program office paid a Lockheed Martin red team to do the cybersecurity testing of the company's own Alice network, the heart and brains of the worldwide Alice network, as part of the overall cyber vulnerability evaluation of Alice. Second, the program office paid Lockheed Martin to analyze F-35 live fire vulnerability tests and produce the F-35 vulnerability assessment report on whether the aircraft met their contractual specifications and military requirements for pilot survival against four air defense threat weapons. The Lockheed study determined, according to this year's DOT&E report, that the three F-35 variants met Joint Strike Fighter JSF contract specification requirements to enable safe ejection of the pilot in the event of an engagement for three of the four threats. That's the opposite result from the 2017 DOT&E report, which stated that the F-35B failed to meet pilot survival specifications for three out of the four threats, and that the F-35's vulnerability was higher than expected. The Lockheed analysis also concluded, unsurprisingly, that the F-35 met its military requirements to be at least as survivable as the legacy F-16 by managing to return to safe territory after being hit by each of the four threats. Curiously, Lockheed's vulnerability assessment report did not analyze the other major legacy planes slated to be replaced by the F-35, the famously survivable A-10. Apparently, to temper suspicions of bias, DOT&E states that it will do an independent review of Lockheed's conclusions, but it will not report the results until after operational testing is complete, so the results will be all but useless for this key phase. 
Lockheed was also entrusted with doing an overall analysis and summary of all the Navy's F-35 live-fire test data, which will likely influence all future computer modeling of F-35 survivability rates in combat. The DOT&E report does not indicate when this study is expected to be released. At 14 pages, this year's assessment is much shorter than those of previous years. The 2017 report was a full 29 pages, while the 2016 report was 61. The gap between the arbitrary end of developmental testing last April and the beginning of operational testing in December 2018 partially explains this report's brevity. But that does not explain the omission of significant information from this year's report, particularly areas of reporting that had been included before. As noted earlier, the report does not contain a single mention of the program's fully mission-capable rate from this or any other year. The 26% rate reported in the last assessment was appalling and likely caused program leaders a great deal of embarrassment. That is hardly an excuse to leave out the figure this year. DOT&E also withheld new data about key performance metrics that were included in the 2017 report. The 2018 report contains only two charts of data down from last year's 10. The 2017 report included a chart showing the program's availability rates broke down by location with detailed numbers. This year's report simply states that the rate is well below the program's goal of 60%. The 2017 report also included a chart listing the weapons delivery accuracy test events and the success and failure status for air-to-air missile firings, air-to-ground deliveries, and gunnery. Aside from the discussion of the gun test, no mention of the program's combat testing performance appeared in the 2018 report, even though further tests were conducted. Security concerns must not have been the deciding factor in leaving that out, as the Air Force made public a successful test event in April 2018, well within the reporting period of the latest assessment. Under federal law, the testing office must write an annual report on the programs it reviews and submit an unclassified version simultaneously with the submission of any classified version. The smaller amount of information included in this report compared to previous years suggests that DOT&E may be taking cues from the White House and Pentagon leadership on reducing transparency and withholding information that had previously been made public. Now nearly a decade behind schedule and $200 billion over budget, The F-35 program continues to perform far below expectations and is nowhere near to fulfilling the Pentagon and Lockheed's many promises. Its continuing performance and design failures are not commensurate with the massive investment made for the past 20 years. At this point, the operational testers should complete the original stringent testing plan agreed to by the services, the F-35 program office, and DOT&E without succumbing to powerful political pressure to sacrifice combat realism for expediency. Only then will anyone know if the F-35 will actually work in combat, and whether our troops would be well served when the F-35 replaces the A-10. Until then, to serve the troops and taxpayers better, Congress should stop increasing F-35 production rates every year, as every incompletely tested, deficiency-laden F-35 built will waste even more taxpayer dollars on costly retrofits. Congress should also demand that DOT&E return to its previous transparency. Lawmakers should then use that operational test transparency to shoulder their oversight responsibilities and demand that the withheld information be made public. The American people, especially the men and women who have to trust their lives to the F-35, deserve nothing less. That's it for this time. You can learn more about the F-35, find links to what we've discussed, and leave us comments by visiting our website at pogo.org strauss. There you can also learn about our other investigations and efforts to make the military more ethical and effective at a significantly lower cost. 
please click like on our Facebook page at the Project on Government Oversight. You can follow us on Twitter at at Dan underscore Grazier and at Strauss Reform. In order to preserve our independence, POGO does not knowingly accept contributions from anyone who stands to benefit financially from our work. If you would like to get involved and help POGO and the Center for Defense Information's work promoting an effective, open, and affordable government, please consider making a donation. Just click on the red donation icon at the top of our homepage. I'm Dan Grazier, the Jack Shanahan Military Fellow here at the Center for Defense Information at POGO. Please stay tuned as we will continue to help you navigate the Pentagon Labyrinth.